0: welcome to the scg church podcast we'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our west auditorium you can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our facebook and youtube pages thanks for listening in this series called Uncommon Sense. And what we've been doing is we've been looking through the book of Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament and it's a bunch of different little insights written by a guy named King Solomon. God gave him this very special gift. He had the gift of wisdom. And so he could look at all the different arenas of life and he gives his advice or some wisdom into how we can live um, better in that area. And so we first looked at what wisdom is and then we've been applying, okay, what does it mean to be wise in this area? And we've been going through parenting and last week was money and this. This week, of course, is how, to be, how do we be wise with our words? And words are a big part of um, the scriptures. If you look back to the beginning of Genesis, it says, "In the beginning, God spoke creation into existence." And then He made you and I, and we're made in His image. one of the first things that he tells us to do is he says, "Now I want you to go and I want you to name the animals." Man's fall into sin was spoken a few words spoken by a serpent. He questions, did God really say that? Like, are God's words really trustworthy? The punishment that we received, or part of the punishment we received, was God confuses our languages at the Tower of Babel. And then we fast forward to the New Testament, and John says that the word becomes flesh. The word, the the, the logic, the representative of, of, of God's thoughts, it actually goes from an idea and from um, being spoken to being a person. God steps into his very creation, and what he does is he starts to proclaim that the kingdom of God has arrived, and with just a word, he can heal people, he can raise people from the dead, he can calm storms, and at the end of his ministry, he simply says, it is finished, declaring that sin and death has been conquered. Even after Jesus' death, you see in the uh, book of Acts that the church begins to build, that the Holy Spirit arrives and begins to fill people. And when that happens, the first thing that takes place is God changes their words. And we are even told today that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved and, and when we do that and we begin to build our life based upon his words, Jesus says that um, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will remain forever. See, there's something powerful about words. We see it throughout the scriptures. And Solomon, he sees the power of our words, um, not even just the power of the word, but the power of our words. Here's what he says. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, you're not sure if you believe any of this stuff, you can at least understand that there is something really powerful about words. Words have the ability to transform entire nations. Think about some of the most famous speeches in human history. You have people like Martin Luther King who gets up there and he says, I have a dream. And people latch onto that and say, you know what? We want to be a part of that dream. Or Winston Churchill, he says, you know what? We've got to do something about this war that has broken out across the world. You can also see the power of words in our everyday life. There's a viral video recently of a guy who was on an airplane, and there was a baby that was crying, and he just... Loses it. Maybe you saw this video. He just loses it. He is so tired of hearing from this baby that he just starts uh, being fairly vulgar, but very, very loud. Just saying, "Someone stop that baby! If that baby can make much noise, I'm going to make a lot of noise." I'm going to. He got so out of control, and he wasn't making any threats, but he got so out of control that they literally had to land the plane, and then everybody had to get off, and this guy got arrested. In the news report, they interview an aviation expert on safety, and here was his. Uh, Expert advice. If you don't sit down and close your mouth, you're going to be hauled away by the police. (laughs) Okay, lifetime of studying uh, safety in aviation. He says, you should shut your mouth, is probably what I would do. But think about the power of this man's words causes an airplane to come out of the sky. There's a lot of power in just those simple words. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. 10 years ago, Amy and I, or I guess it was a little bit longer than that. Now, right before we started having kids, we went to Africa, and we have ministry partners there, and I've, I've spent a lot of time with these ministry partners. And so I took her there for her first trip that she'd ever been on outside of the States. We decided to go to Africa. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. And it was amazing. We, we got to just see what God is doing there, and at the end of the trip, we took a safari. We're like, we're already all the way over here. We just, we want to go and experience this. It's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime deal, and They tell us about all the animals that we're going to see. And and we see all the animals about the first night that we were there. You see in this like tent and we could hear the animals right outside of our tent. We woke up the next morning and we saw these prints and they were a pack of lions had come through our camp. And I thought, okay, this is fun. Let's go home now. Uh, But one of the animals that we were most, I guess, afraid of, to be honest, was one that you may not even see, but could kill you. It's called a spitting cobra. And a spitting cobra, it can rise up and it can spit its uh, venom up to six feet. And if it hits you, you, you could die. And I thought, oh, well, good. I was hoping for another thing to be afraid of on this trip. Yeah. But for me, that, that's a great like, symbol of what we have in, in our mouths. We have venom. We have the ability to shoot venom into people's lives if we're not careful. Words have the ability to inflict damage sort of like a, a stab wound. You may recover from it, but you'll always remember. The scar will always be there. You can forgive, but you can't really forget things that people have said. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and gossip separates close friends. Uh, When I was a kid, we used to say, secrets separate friends. Well, Solomon says, no, it's actually gossip that separates friends. And so when uh, Amy and I first got engaged, um, Amy was a junior in college, And I had just graduated. And we got engaged. And right after we had gotten engaged, she went back to her dorm room with her roommates. And she was just so excited. And she started planning the wedding. And this is, you know, a big focal point for her life and mine at this point. And and she receives this text message. And she opens it up. And it's from her roommate that's sitting across across the room. And it says, I am so sick of hearing Amy talk about her engagement. Look. You gotta give some sympathy to this poor girl. Amy got a 10 early on. It's like, look, I get it. That's gonna be hard, you know? That's gotta be hard. It's like winning the lottery. It's like, look, I'm happy for you, but like, it's difficult, you know? I got a little bit too much of a laugh, uh, actually. So she realizes what happens and oh my goodness, you know, everybody who acted totally rationally discussed it and they were fine or they had a big freak out in a fight, but eventually they got over it and they mended that relationship. But even when you repair the relationship that is done there, there's still always in the back of your mind this distrust. Where you're always still, wondering, can I really trust this person? I mean, in the past, here's what they did, and how do I know that they're not going to do that in the future? And that's why Solomon says gossip is something that separates friends, and it's very difficult to repair that relationship. He says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Maybe you have somebody wise in your life. It could be a counselor. It could be a close friend. And you're just get, you get worked up about something, and you go to them, and they just have the ability to speak into your life, and you can walk out of that, and you just feel like a burden has been lifted, and you just go, I just feel better about the situation. Nothing has changed in your circumstances, but just by their words, they've made you feel something, maybe even give a little bit of healing to a situation. So that's, that's the power of words. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating, i got to be honest, when I first read this, the phrase, snitches get stitches, came into my mind. I don't know if it's because I'm a gangster like that, but that's just what I thought of. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. What he's saying here is, when you begin to run your, li- when you're- when you begin to run your mouth, there will be consequences in real life. It may not be physical consequences, but it might be relational It might be in your career, it might be in your reputation, but something is going to suffer when you can't control your mouth. If you think about the damage that I could do right now to my life with just a few simple words. I could say something in which I I, I just ruined my reputation. I could even lose my job. You could do the same, by the way. You could stand up. You could disrupt this service. You could say something so crazy because you know we're going to video it, and then everyone's going to post it, and then everyone's going to know about it, and so your life could be turned upside down just by you saying a few simple words right now. Now, I'm glad that I have not said anything like that, and I pray that I never do, uh, and I don't think I intentionally ever would, but I have said a lot of dumb things before, a lot of embarrassing things. First time I ever spoke here in this main campus was 15 years ago. I was a junior high pastor, and I had the opportunity to speak, and I was nervous. I said, okay, I'm going to tell my favorite Bible story, which was Esther. So I began talking about Esther, and I said, well, there's a great illustration of who Esther is. She's like a Barbie because she's beautiful, but she's also strong and tough, and so she's like G.I. Joe. Except I didn't say that. I said she's kind of like G.I. Jew, and everybody went, huh? <laughs> like, what did you just say? And I was like, ha, ah, okay, I'm gonna go back to junior high to department now. <laughs> and that, you know, everybody lost it. And I was like, all right, that's the end of that sermon. Like, everybody go home now. But it, just a slip of the tongue can, can really change not just a service, but a, a life. Words have the power to change us. There's this hypothesis in linguistic theory that says that language can literally change the way that we think and the way that we see the world. So a good example of this is in uh, George Orwell's book, 1984. One of the ways the ruling party controls people's minds is to control their language. It's called newspeak. And newspeak is simplifying language and outlawing certain words so that it limits what people can literally think about, especially things that might undermine the party's control. I don't know if this is a... If this theory is true or not, you know, I don't know much about it, but here's what I do know. Even if language doesn't shape the way that we see the world, it definitely shapes the way that we see ourselves. Is what we are told about ourselves oftentimes deeply affects the way that we see ourselves. Saw a video of a man on the street type video where they're walking around and they were asking strangers, hey, um, what is the most painful thing you've ever been told? And what's really interesting about this video is lots of different ages and and different places in life, and every single person had an answer at the tip of their tongue, like they knew it immediately, this affected my life when someone said this. And so I wrote down a couple. Um, One was told that no one could ever love you because you're so broken, that you're never going to amount to anything. There's a time in which they pointed out this physical flaw, and so every time I look in the mirror, that's all I see. When my parent said to me, I'm ashamed that you are my child. These words, it could have been decades and decades and decades ago, and yet it still stings. It still feels real. It's still clearly affecting them. They started to tear up because there was something about these words that even if they didn't believe it in their head, their heart continued to ache because of it. Even the words that aren't spoken, that should have been spoken, have power. Like when a parent should say that they're proud of their children, but they don't. Or a spouse tells their other half, I appreciate you. I'm so thankful for our relationship. Even when we don't speak the words that we should speak, it has an effect on us. And what happens is these things either become a self-fulfilling prophecy And there's been a lot of studies that talk about children and parents and how, to some degree, what you parents say about and to your kids is what they will become. So if you say, hey, you're such a good listener, they'll become a good listener. Or if you say, you're really, really bad at math, they'll be bad at math, Because somehow it gets internalized and it becomes a part of our identity and we live that out. And if we don't do that, we do the opposite, which is we spend our entire lives trying to fight against that voice in our head that tells us we are that thing. I am not lazy. I am not dumb. I will accomplish something with my life and I will defeat that voice. Even if that voice that I hear is long gone, I will continue to fight it no matter what it costs me. Words also have the ability to reveal certain things about us. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent And their lips promote instruction. Jesus said something very similar to this in Matthew 15. He says, whatever comes out of your mouth is an overflow of your heart. That what you say is actually a representative of what's happening within your heart. So think about this as if you've ever tried to learn a second language. When, growing up, we went to a lot of Spanish-speaking countries because we did a lot of missions trips and ministry stuff there. And so I tried to pick up pieces of the language that I could and, you know, I took it in school and things like that. And, and when we were regularly going there, I could sort of pick up some of the speech that was taking place and I could sort of engage. But I had to really focus and really try to understand the words that they're saying and then also communicate back to them. But if I just stopped focusing and concentrating, I would go back to my default language, English. I think that's true of us as well, is all of us have a default language that we speak. It's something that flows naturally from our hearts, that when we're not paying attention to what we're saying, we start saying what we truly feel. So think about what do you say? What is your default language when you're not paying attention? So like you're not inrooted. And you're not with your group, and you're trying not to cuss, and you're trying to sound kind of like you know what you're talking about, and you like, you got a little bit together, and you have your guard down. What is the kind of speech that you use? Not just the words, but what is like the underlying tone? Is it negative or positive? Is it truth, or is it lies? Is it gossip? Is it greed? Is it lust? Because whatever that default position is that you speak, that actually is a great indicator of where your heart's at. First time I took kids to camp as a high school pastor, we took about 100 kids, tons of kids. We had an entire cabin for boys and a couple cabins for the girls, except in the boys' cabin, um, we had the entire thing, except there was a small basement that another church was using. So by the time we got checked in and we got all the kids settled and everything, and I went and met with the other leaders, I came back and the kids told me, hey, there's this other youth pastor, and he started cussing and yelling at us because he said we were being too loud. I thought, okay, let me go talk to this guy. Like, I don't, you know, they're high schoolers. They're, they're a little dramatic sometimes. And so I go down there and myself and another leader, we go and we pull them outside and we say, hey man, what's going on? Like, we heard that there's some issues. We didn't mean it, whatever. And this guy starts cussing me up, down, sideways. He strung words together that I was like, look, I've never even heard those put together before. <laughs> Like, that was, I mean, if I weren't offended, I would be impressed by the creativity that you have been able to. And the fact that you got out of bed and are that fired up right now is just like, whoa, you are just on an 11 at all times. And we're just shocked. We're youth pastors, and there's another youth pastor. We're at church camp, and he's cussing us out. And we're just like, what do we do? Do we hit him? Like, I don't even know. I didn't, like, I'm not sure what to do in these circumstances, you know? And so we walk away just going, what just happened? That was wild. And eventually, you know, the the head of the camp gets involved and this guy gets kicked out of camp and he's never allowed back and I'm pretty sure he went home and he lost his job. I mean, just um, what a mess. And it's all because of the language that he used. Now, was it about the specific words that he said? No, it wasn't about those specific words. Those words were revealing something about him, about his heart, who he was, where he was at, and everybody went yeah that's not a person that should be in ministry that's not a person that should be leading kids because that's that hard is there's something going on there cuz our words reveal what we feel so how do we be wise with our words solomon has a ton to say about this dozens and dozens of insights and so i've tried to condense it into just a handful of things that i think he might say that i would put in my own words so here's the first thing i came up with that i think he might say is keep your mouth shut says, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. So we've created a society in which we have given a platform to any and everyone that wants to voice their opinion at all times to the world. We can talk as much as we want to, however many people we want, and then we go, I wonder why we're so divided. I think Solomon would say, because you need to shut your mouth, you talk too much. All of you. This week I worked out for the first time in a while. Unfortunately, it's been a while. And uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to lift weights. Cardio is not really my thing, I'm sure. You, okay, anyway. Uh, and when you haven't worked out in a while, and then you begin to exercise those muscles, they become sore. And so I've woken up every day this week kind of sore. But you know what's weird? I, I will speak this entire weekend just so many words. And I will not wake up with a sore tongue tomorrow. That muscle never gets sore. It's like I could just talk and talk, and so could you. Just talk and talk and talk and talk, and it just never ceases to get tired. I think we've confused the idea that just because we can do something, we should do something. It's like, yeah, I can continue to talk, and I can continue to blast my opinion, and I can, but should I? I think Solomon might say, "Mm, just keep it shut. Second thing, mind your own business. (laughs) An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. There's one class, and it's funny because I've told this story the last two services, and unfortunately lots of people had figured this out because they went to the same school as I did growing up, but eh, what are you going to do? I had a teacher that was infamous out of my senior year in high school and nobody wanted to have this teacher. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some people wanted to have this teacher because it was very entertaining because he could make kids cry in class And lots of people thought, that would be interesting to watch. Uh, I even had friends that had like a high school band and they named it after this guy because he was so infamous around the school. And then there was other kids that were like, I want nothing to do with this guy. I just put my head down and I just don't even want him to know my name. And that's kind of the category that I fell into is I just sat at the back of the class, I put my head down, look, I'm not gonna bother you, you don't bother me, don't even know my name, we'll continue on. Except for one day I was late to school and I was like five minutes late. So I'm thinking on my way to this class, Okay, whew, what am I gonna do? I can go home right now and just call it a day, uh, or I've gotta you know, face him and see what happens. So I walk into the class and he goes, Hey, what's your name? I'm like, Dude, I've been here all summer. Okay, it's Cody. And so he starts peppering me with questions. What's your deal? What are you into? What's your family like? In front of the whole class, just going after. And I don't know why I let this slip, but I said, Well, I'm a pastor's kid. And he went, Oh, what? A pastor's kid? you believe that stuff? You Christian? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, goes, hmm. You drink? I said, no. You smoke? Mm-mm. You cuss? Nah, I try not to. He goes, you go with girls who do? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then he begins to survey the rest of the class. By the way, uh, side note. This guy was so unique that we, he never taught the class. He put 1970s VHSs in there, and we would watch those every day, while he picked the skin off his head and ate it. I promise you that's true. I know that's disgusting, I, but I promise you I saw it with my own eyes, and I am not the only one. I've had multiple people come and tell them I know exactly who you're talking about. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Sorry, now you're not even paying attention anymore. You're not even paying attention. I just realized he was the original guy in Austin Powers who would eat it. And then, oh, okay, anyway. Uh, story. Okay, yeah. So then he begins to survey everyone in the class and say, who here knows Cody? And then one by one would ask, what kind of people do, do Cody hang out with? Does he, is it people that drink and smoke and cuss? And they go, no, 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 they go through, and luckily everyone gave the right answer, and I was like, okay, thank you. And so then he made me as a punishment do push-ups in front of the class, and then I never spoke to anyone ever again. But <laughs> here's how he wanted to gauge who I was. Who do you hang out with? What are the kinds of people that you associate with? Because you can say a lot of things about yourself, but I, I just want to know who you hang out with, because that'll tell me enough about who you are. And, and that's what he's saying here. Is he, he's saying... You'll become like the people that you hang out with. All of us know that to be true. But he elaborates. He says, a gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. My parents always told me, if if you hang out with people who are gossiping to you, don't be surprised when they gossip about you. He says, look, you could just go, I'm not doing it, I'm not participating, I'm not a part of it, I'm not, but you're associated. So you either will in the future become like that, or you will have to, be part of the drama that they eventually will become a part of. So we have to weigh our words. Words carry weight to them, and their weight is determined by a few different factors. One factor is the the actual word itself. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. What he's saying is there, there are words that are appropriate, and there are words that are inappropriate, And all of us know a list, vaguely, of the appropriate versus inappropriate. I remember in second grade when I learned what that list was, I tried them out for myself. Didn't go well. Mom heard about it. I had my mouth washed out with soap. But it's not just about which words are appropriate and inappropriate, but it's about which words are positive and which ones are negative. Studies show that negative words have way more weight than positive words do. So for every five to nine positive things that you say, you you can say one negative thing. And when it comes to family and close relationships, it may even be 25 to one. And so I think of it like this. In all the relationships that I have in my life, I have this imaginary account with them, a relational account with them. And I can put deposits relationally into that account, It can be things like investing time and energy and affirmations and things like that. And then sometimes I will withdraw from that account through, I have to maybe correct them on something or critique something. And this is for every relationship in my life, and and you have it too. And I have to make sure that I have five to nine credits before I try to withdraw. Because if I try to withdraw and there's nothing in that bank, it's going to end badly, because there there is a certain weight to my words, but also there is a weight to the types of words and the positive and negative words that I say. I've had a lot of um, conversations with people over the years. Uh, a lot of it stems back to you know family of origin issues and struggles that they still have today because of how they were raised. But I have yet to encounter a single person that has said, "You know, I'm just really struggling because my parents were just too encouraging." It's like I'm walking through life and there's voice. is just in my head and they just, I, I can't get it out. She's like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And it's like enough, you know? I've yet to hear someone say that. Now, it's, it's not because we shouldn't critique and correct and try to make each other better. Of course not. No, that's not the point. The point is um, that we get this backwards. At least I do. I'm usually like a one positive to nine corrections kind of guy. And we've got it completely backwards. So it's about the words that we say. It's about the way that we say these words. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. There's a famous psychologist that specializes in marriages. And he has a test that can predict with 93% accuracy if your marriage is going to end in divorce or not based on this 15-minute test. He says, one of the main things that I look for is what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. He looks at how you communicate. What are the words that you say to each other, and how do you say them? That is going to be an indicator if your marriage lasts or not. And if you want to repair your marriage, he says, that's the first place that you're going to start. He says, you have to disarm conflict verbal communications. That's the power and the weight that our words have. There's also a time and a place for the words. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. I think this is hilarious. It's like, yo, dude, you can tell me you're proud of me, but like not when I'm sleeping, okay? Wait until like 11, then you can tell me you're proud because I'm not gonna be happy about it. So every morning when my kids are heading out the door to school, I stop each of them and I give them a hug and I say, I love you so much. And they go out the door and they go, well, my daughter has gotten to this age in which she doesn't say it back. She's embarrassed. (laughs) And so I, every day, and so this week I decided I'm gonna take you to school. Literally, I'm going to take her to school. So I took her to school, and we pull up in front of the school, and they each get out, and each of them, I love you, I love you. Wait a minute, Sienna, excuse me, I said I love you. And she just tries to jump out of the car and get over there, and I go, (laughs) put it in park. Uh, Window down. Sienna, I love you. Nothing, keeps walking. (laughs) Okay. Sienna, I love you so much, I can barely stand it right now. And kids are starting to look like, what is going on? And she's, oh, no. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And so I do, Sienna Lindserrat, you are the love of my life. She comes home from school and she goes, dad, a junior high girl came up to me and said, your dad is so embarrassing. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't care. What, what changed in that moment? I tell her I love her every single morning. What changed? Well, part of what changed was the time and the place that I told her that I love her. Now, I don't think that there is a wrong time and place to tell someone that you love them, at least when it comes to your children. And so I have no regrets. I don't apologize for it. In fact, I'll probably do it again. But there is a time and a place, or at least the time and the place, they do change the weight of the words that you may say to someone. And then finally, you have to remember who it is that you're speaking to and your relationship with them. If my wife were to get ready in the morning and she comes out and she goes, how's my outfit look? Which she does on a regular basis. My answer is always, you look amazing. You look amazing. I said that yesterday. She's like, I'm still in my pajamas. And I go, still good. Still look great, babe. Still look great. And let's be honest. um, I have zero fashion sense and um, I always think she looks great. And so when I say that, not a whole lot of weight to those words. But let's say my daughter comes in and she goes, mom, (gasps) you look gorgeous. There would be a lot of weight to those words because one, she's never said that before. The other is she has more fashion sense. And so if she says it, Amy's gonna go, oh, I must really look good today. This is also true in the different working relationships that we have. So over the years, the last 20 years, I've gone from being a youth pastor to, to uh, you know, a pastor that helps lead a congregation and a staff. And that has been a weird transition for me because my relationship has changed with coworkers. Is I could go around and we'd have fun, I'm the crazy, you know, junior high pastor or whatever. But now, let's say I go over to the kids' building and I notice something that maybe we could do a little bit better. And so my initial you know intuition is, okay, I'm gonna go tell the lead of that room, hey, here's something we could work on, let's do X, Y, and Z and dialogue about it, and whatever. But I've been told I'm not allowed to do that. Because if you go and you say, hey, here's something that you could work on, they're gonna walk away going, am I getting fired? Is say, am I in trouble? Like, he never comes, like, and talks to me, and then the, he's come over, and he's talked to me about this, or, like, you know, we don't... It, because the relationship is different. Not that I'm important, and not that... We all have these different relationships, and so it's got to be perceived completely different than I perceive it. I go, hey, man, we're in this together. We're co-workers. We're doing ministry together, and they're going, uh, no, but, like, that's not how this relationship works. And we have to remember this. No matter who we are, that... We have weight to our words. Parents, you have weight to your words to your kids. If you're a boss, you have weight to your words to your employees. Couples, we have weight to our words to our spouses. Depending upon our relationship, they may hear things differently. I read an article of a man who got up one day and decided that he was just going to stop speaking for that day. And so he told through hand communication that he wasn't speaking that day. He told his coworkers. he told his girlfriend, and he says, to his surprise, they were all thrilled. <laughs> In fact, everybody loved it so much, he got up the next day and decided he was going to continue to do it, and then he went for a week, and then he went for a month, and eventually for an entire year. And he said, I realized how much more I was able to hear when I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say next. I liked not speaking. It gave me peace. People ask if I spoke to myself, but why would I? I'd just have complained when I had no one to blame but myself. And so he just remained silent. Apparently he was pretty productive because he went back to school and went to college and then a master's and then a PhD. And here's how the story concludes. After 17 years of not speaking, I felt I had something to say. So it took him 17 years of silence and a PhD to finally feel like I might be able to contribute something. So what if we just did a little mental experiment? If for one year you could no longer speak, what would change? You're silent for a year. H- how would your relationships change? Do you think you would get more or less conflict? It's sort of hard to fight when you can't talk, right? You just get angry. I go, mm, no, I don't like that, no. It's hard to, okay, I see your disapproval, and I don't care. (laughs) You know, like that's the end of the conversation. Or what about your kids? Would they feel more or less encouraged? I mean, I I could clap for them and I could, that's about it. But I couldn't critique them. What about your spouse? Would they feel more or less appreciated? Probably get better at buying flowers and doing acts of service and things like that. What about Jesus? Would there be more or less people who know about Jesus? I think all of us can admit that we need to change the way that we speak. And, and there really is two options. We need to stop speaking or we need to speak differently. Solomon gives us insight into how we can speak differently. He says, The mouth of the righteous. If you're not a Bible person, righteous means someone who is in right standing with God. It means that you and I, when God looks at us, we have a right relationship. There's no conflict between us. The problem is that the scriptures also say that no one is righteous, not even one, that all of us have sinned, all of us have gone astray, all of us have this conflict between us and God, and that's what Jesus came to do, is he came in order to die so that that conflict could be resolved, so that we could be made righteous, not based on what we do, but based on what he has done for us. And when we give our lives over to him, he takes our heart of rebellion and he gives us a heart of righteousness. And he says, when that happens, you become a fountain of life. The words you say become life to people. You begin speaking, instead of death, you begin speaking life into your situations and into your relationships. You become a person who can speak hope and healing and truth and forgiveness, even give the words of eternal life to those who are around you. But it's got to start here. Last week, we talked about money. There's a lot of similarities between um, what we do with our money and our mouths, We assume that both are used for our benefit in order to meet our needs and our wants. And both really reveal what our heart truly loves and feels. As Christ followers, um, when we give our lives over to him, we say, it's no longer about me. Everything that I have, my money and my mouth are yours. What do you want? And the answer is actually the same. I want you to, to praise me. I want you to honor me. I want you to serve me. And I want you to make me known in the world through these resources that I have given you. And so last week I asked, what does your money say about you? And I think it's appropriate to ask the same question this week. What do your words say, or what, what, what do your words you say, say about you? So I want to end with that question. What do your words that you say, say about you? Let's pray. Lord God, you have given us an incredible gift to be able to express ourselves to be able to communicate with one another, and to be able to worship you. But with this becomes a a weight, a responsibility in order to use it well, and so many of us have failed, and we continue to do so. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would change us. You would begin with our hearts, that we become people who are overflowing with life because you have given us new life. Lord, help us to honor you with our mouths as we walk out of this place. And we see people whom you love deeply. Allow us to communicate that truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Hey, if you want to sign up for baptisms, please do so. Uh, We encourage you to do that. Other than that, we will see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.